<laughs> this is Mama's High on Chai. Hey Mamas, this is your host Simi with Mama's High on Chai, a podcast all about being a South Asian and being a mama. Hi everyone, so today I'm joined by Rina Parekh who is a fitness coach in the Toronto area and she also provides online training and uh, works specifically with women. Um, Rina specializes in pre and postnatal fitness and helps women regain their strength during pregnancy and after childbirth. And she's also very passionate about breaking and destigmatizing some of the cultural stigmas around pelvic health that still ex- exist in the South Asian community. So welcome, Rina, and thank you so much for coming on this podcast and uh, sharing your insights with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. <laughs> so Rina, um, tell us a little bit about your own story, uh, specifically like your your journey with pre and, uh, you know, during your pregnancy, postpartum, and how it relates to what you what you do today? Yeah, well, I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> so I am a mother of two kids, five yeah. and 14 months. Yeah. And really, I became a personal trainer after my son was born. And the reason for that was because I was let go from my corporate job while I was on maternity leave. And in the city of Toronto, childcare is exponentially um, expensive. So unless you are, you know, in a career that you absolutely love and it means the world to you to go back, uh, for me, it, I wasn't in that place um, at the time. And I knew going back to corporate life, uh, which was event management at the time, that would mean traveling quite a bit and working evenings and weekends. So I decided not to go back and also save that money on daycare costs. At the same time, my husband had opened his restaurant, so the demands on him were quite high at the time as he was figuring out this new life of restaurant ownership and fatherhood as well. So we decided that I was going to stay home, and once my maternity leave ended, and that's a year here in Canada, um, I was starting to get a little bit itchy about what I wanted to do. Um, I was already teaching group fitness on the side, and so I thought a natural progression would be to start personal training. So I started working with postpartum women and seeing them in their homes, and that eventually evolved into uh, boot camps in the park with them. It evolved into me learning more about what it means to be postpartum and how that relates back to your fitness, because it just wasn't the same for me. I mean, I was not at the same level I used to be at. Uh, when I started teaching again, and that journey in itself was quite a bit, um, quite a bit of an experience, you could say. And then I had my second daughter, and that pregnancy was a lot more challenging. When I was pregnant with her, I was also into strength training four days a week, and I was learning how to lift during pregnancy at the time, and I learned so much about my body and what it was capable of doing, and where I needed to scale back. But I don't think that 
kind of knowledge is necessarily out there um, in a form that is accessible to people, especially in the South Asian community. Uh, my family yeah. was always looking at my fitness videos going like, should you be lifting that much? You should really just stop working. Right. Um, and I was working in a gym as well. And my clients were also people who lifted barbells and heavy weights. And so uh, my job was physical and I was also uh, very committed to working out. And but what happened was because the pregnancy was difficult, it ended up giving me some pelvic health issues at the time. And so when I went to see my physiotherapist, I was diagnosed with hypertonic pelvic floor, which is when your muscles are too tight and also a low grade prolapse. Um, and so that was pretty devastating for me at the time. It didn't mean I had to stop working out, but I had to scale back big time and prepare my body for birth at the time. And once my daughter was born, I was diagnosed with a second low grade prolapse. And that was because of a slightly traumatic birth. Um, and, uh, the, the, the amount of, um, stress that was put on my body during the birth. And so during that late time in that second pregnancy and my postpartum experience between that, um, the amount that I dove into learning about my own body and what that meant for my training after I had my baby and I was recovered from the birth led me to really become passionate about speaking out more about this because there's just so much overwhelm out there in terms of information. If you Google pregnancy fitness, you're going to get a hundred thousand results or more actually. Right. And everyone is saying something different. You know, you're going to find people who are saying, well, don't do any of this. You can only do this. And then you're going to find people who are like, who are, you know, into, you know, competitive sports and lifting, and they are just going full force right after they've had birth. And so right. it's, you know, where's the in between for women like myself who are athletes at the gym and yet don't have a, a guided path to getting back to that strength that I once had, but safely, because now I'm talking about two prolapses. Um, I was lucky I didn't have abdominal separation to the degree where my core wasn't functional, uh, but a lot of women experience that too. And so your body just doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. And the more kids you have, the more your body changes. And so we're not going to bounce back like a lot of social media influencers show us. Right. And, you know, we need, a, we need a bit of a reality check. And then when you add the cultural aspect of it, nobody ever really talks about it. So that's where my journey really began. And I would say that I really honed in on this niche of supporting women through that period of maintaining their strength through pregnancy, but also really in that postpartum period of once you're recovered and you've done some rehab with a pelvic floor physiotherapist, how do you get back to whatever it is that you loved doing before right. at that same level or even stronger? Right. And can you explain a little bit about the low-grade prolapse that you were talking about? Yes. Um, so prolapse, if, you, if you're not familiar with, with it, is when your internal organs start to descend into the vaginal wall. Right. So for me, I have a rectocele or had, uh, which is the rectum falling into the vaginal wall that was causing a lot of discomfort during late in my pregnancy. And then after pregnancy, I was diagnosed with a cystocele, which is descending of the bladder into the vaginal wall. You mentioned 
you know, some women have a lot of uh, abdominal separation and you were lucky that you didn't have it. And makes me wonder if a lot of women go through pelvic floor issues without even knowing about them their entire lives. Like, I understand you went to your physiotherapist and were properly diagnosed, but is it possible that you could have these issues and not know about them? Or is it just maybe um, if you're experiencing them and it's not, it's not really affecting your life, life as much, um, that's when you don't know about it. Absolutely. So the stats show that 100% of women have diastases and diastases recti is the separation of the abdominal wall. And so that's a natural progression of pregnancy because our bodies have to stretch. So it doesn't mean that your abdominals are broken. Uh, what we want to look for after birth is how has that separation healed in those first six to eight weeks postpartum and is your core still functional so you could have a separation with a core that is still functional and what that means is that you're able to engage your core and brace during day-to-day -day life or if you're lifting something or moving around um, and you know and pelvic floor dysfunction affects one in three women the okay. more births you have the more likely you are to experience some type of dysfunction um, and that, and that doesn't matter whether it's a cesarean birth or a vaginal birth, birth is birth. And so that those things affect us in different ways. And absolutely, you can go through life without any symptoms. And, you know, for a lot of women, if they have any type of low grade prolapse, but they don't feel anything, that's okay. Um, is it going to affect you in the long run? Maybe. It's really hard to tell because research is still catching up to that kind of information. Um, and then we get to other types of dis dysfunction like leaking. And, you know, we often make jokes like, oh, I can't laugh too hard or I'm going to pee my pants. Or yeah. if I do jump, I can't do jumping jacks or go on the trampoline. Or if I laugh too, you know, if I laugh too hard, if I sneeze or if I cough, um, these things can lead to leaking. But you're like, you know, we're told to write it off as a joke or it's, it's just a little bit. That's just part of motherhood. And the issue with that is that something like that is a red flag, no matter how little the leakage is. And that could potentially lead to issues down the road. So right. it's not a guarantee that things are going to get worse, but it's something that you can fix um, and have those symptoms alleviated with the help and support of a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Right. You know, I consider myself an athlete as well. After childbirth, I, or after the birth of my second child, I, that's when I actually came across diastasis. Um, and that's online through social media. I never knew about it uh, before. I always thought like, okay, I can't, maybe I can't do certain exercises, core exercises that you know, that will make it worse, right? So how do women know what kind of exercises to do and what, what not? Well, that's why someone like me exists. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you look on the internet, you're going to find a bunch of lists that say, do this, but don't do that. And right. a lot of those lists will keep you at the very beginner level of exercise, which is necessary in postpartum. You're yeah. almost starting from scratch. You have to do the rehab and recovery piece. And the 
thing is that we all have individual goals. So for me, it was to get back to strength training. For my neighbor, it was for her to get back to running. She's run marathons. For a client of mine, it was for her to get back to the level of athleticism she had when she was a triathlete. So yeah. we all have individual goals. So someone like that, someone like me can come in and say, okay, well, let's work on progressing your exercises because you can't stay on a mat doing these breathing exercises forever because they are so, so, so boring. Yeah. And especially for somebody who, who is an athlete and has the brain of an athlete and wants to progress and wants to challenge themselves. And yet they don't know how to progress themselves safely because there is a big mental piece around public health and, you know, there's a lot of fear around making things worse uh, because this is our body we're talking about and our physical yeah. health and our day-to-day -day lives are impacted as well. And so the the key for somebody like me is to come in and say, let's work alongside your pelvic floor physiotherapist if that's what we need to do, or let's continue doing the rehab and recovery while we're slowly progressing you towards your goal. So we're going to work towards that and provide a path that makes sense. And during that time, you're going to learn a lot of body awareness. This yeah. isn't just as listening to your body as in, I feel tired today. This is actually really listening to what your body is saying, how your body feels, how your muscles are firing during yeah. exercise and after. And so we learn as we go. And so there really isn't a one size fits all solution to, to any journey. Right, right. You know, my experience with weightlifting after childbirth, I remember being so pumped to get back in shape. And, you know, I totally ignored my pelvic health, like never really thought about that as an element that I need to focus on. And but really, like, you know, as I was, I would, you know, get I was I would get into heavy weightlifting. And sometimes, you know, doing certain exercises like squats or um, just lifting something in an odd way you would I would know your body knows when you're doing something you shouldn't right like you know I would have like the next day I would have like a tight hip or um or maybe like a pubic bone shift or something you know at the while I'm lifting and I'm like mm, I shouldn't have done that um so and I, I feel that that's part of how in our culture, we're really never taught to be in tune with our bodies, right? And part of it is the pressure mm -hmm. uh, that comes from social media. And and there's that element that's missing uh, to really take care of the rehab element. Like, okay, no, I just gave birth. And or even if it's like a couple of years after you gave birth, um, you carried a human being in your, you know, inside your body. Um, mm -hmm. And... So can you speak for that? Like, what are your thoughts on the cultural and the cultural taboos and the social pressures? I mean, I don't know about how it was in your household, but in our household, we didn't even talk about our bodies. It, we were just told to cover up. Right. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about sex. We barely talked about periods. Um, when I got mine, it was, here's a selection of products this is what they're for. 
go. And even then, like, they were only pads because we never talked about tampons because those were also not, um, not something that we discussed on how to insert, you know, insert. And so, (laughs) and, and this goes way back, right. When we think about how women are treated when they're on their period, they're not allowed to sleep in the same room as their husband. They're not allowed to go to the temple. You know, they're not allowed to participate in cultural activities. And it's, it, it seems very bizarre as a first-generation Canadian as to why we are not allowed to do certain things because we're going through the natural process of our lives, which eventually lead to birthing children. And, you know, growing up, I remember, you know, being kind of pushed aside when my mom knew I was on my period or whatever. And... I always kind of felt like that was such a big diss. I was like, what is the big deal? All women experience this. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and so when we look at uh, pregnancy and postpartum, it's a similar attitude towards it. It's very hush-hush. Um, and I and I, I don't know how a lot of uh, traditional families approach this, but you know, for myself, my husband was in the room with me holding my hand during both of my deliveries. And my mother-in-law was uncomfortable coming into the room. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I was at a, I was at the Toronto birthing center. So we were allowed visitors, uh, while I was in labor. And so like my mom came in for a few minutes, my sister visited me, my sister-in-law stayed for both of my births and my mother-in-law couldn't do it. And it, it was a, it was just because she felt like I was so vulnerable and exposed that she couldn't be part of that, which is also interesting because she's herself had birthed two children. And so it just it comes out in different ways uh, when you look at uh, families and how they approach it. And most of the time in these situations, women will always be the one to surround the new mother, uh, whether it's to take care of her or help with the baby if the, if the mother has that kind of support. Um, but we don't talk about pelvic health and, you know, because there's al- already so much stigma around talking about your body and what it's doing naturally, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not inclined to tell you, tell somebody in our family, even our partners that, you know, oh my God, like I, you know, I'm peeing my pants when I'm going to the grocery store. It's something that, causes a lot of embarrassment um, and you know the mental health aspect of it is is a really big portion that again we don't talk about because even postpartum depression is something that culturally mental health is something that is new um, in terms of getting it treated and when we look at new mothers it's like well what do you have to be upset about you have this beautiful child that you just brought into the world so what's there to be depressed about but and we both know that it's unexplainable um, yeah. how we feel. And there's a lot of, you know, physical things that are happening. When you add things um, like body image um, and the way, you know, for pe- feeling pain day to day, if we're unable to explain why we feel a heaviness down there and there's, it just feels like there's nobody to talk to and you kind of close in on yourself. And that, mm-hmm. again, that promotes that, that feeling of isolation that we already feel as new mothers and it can 
it can be the tip of the iceberg for mental health as well in your emotional state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at it as a whole package, when you feel you already don't feel like yourself and all of these things are happening to you and you're feeling isolated and you feel like you have nobody to talk to, then what? Mm-hmm. So we move through life quiet. And a lot of women move through life very quiet. They don't tell anybody. They just deal with what they have been dealt and assume that there is nobody out there to help them. But there's people like myself and a lot of other professionals I know who are screaming it from the rooftops because we are here to help you. And you don't have to go through this alone and you don't have to live with these these symptoms. Right. Yeah, and I think... I think you brought up a good point there about women in our culture not being able to talk to even their partners about things. Yeah. (laughs) Because uh, periods, um, any pelvic floor issues, leaks, those are some of the things, I mean, I I feel even our partners would be embarrassed to hear it. Absolutely. I mean, it depends on how progressive your partner is. Yeah. Uh, but even, you know, my husband is, he's born and raised here, but he still cringes a little, a little bit when he hears me talking about this stuff. Yeah. And I'm always screaming about it. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. And, and, and I think a big piece of that is because we're so conditioned as women and South Asian women to not be talking about these things because they're considered women's problems. Yeah. And men don't need to know. Yeah. What is he like? What is he going to gain from knowing? Uh, but that also affects your mental health again, because it affects your body image and how you feel about yourself and your confidence levels. Mm-hmm. And I and speaking from experience, you know, having a low grade, even a low grade prolapse, which is quite mild in the grand scheme of things uh, that can happen to women. Um, the the extent that it affected my confidence uh, I I can't even I can't even put into words I felt awful about myself because now the one thing that I knew really gave me confidence that I loved to do which was physical fitness and strength training I couldn't even do that to the extent that I wanted to at the time and that just depleted me in so many ways and so It's very, like, it's very layered and complex the way that it can affect yeah. you. Yeah. And it's something we don't often think about. We're, and, you know, we're, we're told to write off. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of those things you just accept as, oh, well, I'm a mother now. Things are different. And when our baby is sick or something we don't know or uh, something, you know, there's an issue we'll always, the first thing we'll do is Google it, what's going on, you know, but something like this, I I feel like women are even shy to Google something like that, or search for, is this even normal? Especially in our culture. Yeah, and that's a tough one. I think with the accessibility to the internet, it's pretty easy to Google things like that um, in private and we can even do it in incognito mode, you know, yeah. so it doesn't show up in our search history. But once again, when you Google something like that, you're going to get so many different answers mm-hmm. that it makes that overwhelm uh, even worse, really, because there's just so right. much information now. And, you know, as somebody who 
you know, if you're a new mother, you already have so much going on with worrying about your baby's health. I mean, I Googled everything with, with my firstborn. I remember like he's breathing weird. Is that normal? And so, (laughs) you know, we're already overwhelmed as it is with caring for new life, no matter how our family had changed. And to add this on top of that makes it, makes it even more stressful in ways that we can't explain. And so finding credible sources of information is so, so important and they are out there, but how we find them is, you know, is a little bit tricky. And for somebody like me, it's really hard to get out of that realm because I am so immersed in this world that when somebody tells me that they've never even heard of pelvic floor physio, I'm almost in shock, but that is very, very common because literally nobody has told them about this. And culturally, it's one thing to not talk about it. But then we look at our relationships with our doctors and women are embarrassed to speak to their doctors about this. So Mm -hmm. where down the line are we going to learn about this if we're not going to be speaking to each other? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, and then we look on the other side of the spectrum of being, you know, in Western society and social media, and we see all these beautiful, fair-skinned, blonde women who have bounced back fitting into their jeans just a couple of weeks after birth, and you're going, what, what the heck happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And so where, where we fit in is really interesting. And so now we're seeing this big wave of pushing those uh, taboos out of the way and saying, let's speak about this. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that most women are learning about this stuff through the internet and now through mm-hmm. podcasts yeah. um, and social media. And we're talking about it. We're saying the word vagina and we're not cringing about it. And we're talking about periods and birth and all of the things that we never got the chance to actually speak to our families about or even our partners in a lot of cases. Right, right. That's so true. You know, I um, it's almost uh, liberating to talk about these things because that's what it is. It is what it is. Right. You know, you touched on the common issue that we have with pelvic floor dysfunction after childbirth. And the most common one I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, um, you know, leaking or or peeing while you cough or sneeze. And is that is that right? It's hard to say what the most common ones are. I mean, from what I hear you know, in the grapevine, yes. I mean, is that an official stat? I can't confirm that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) A physiotherapist could probably do that. Um, But yeah, like these are very common signs and things that we experience. And the chances of it of it happening to somebody else that you know are very, very high. But again, even within mom groups, we never talked about this. I was in a lot of postnatal groups with my first son. And, you know, I was usually only one of maybe two brown women or even colored women in the, in the group. And nobody ever talked about these things because they probably were embarrassed about it, to be frank. And you have every right to feel that way. But chances are, if you speak to your friends about it, they're going to go, Oh my God, me too. Like, what is this feeling? And why do I like, why, why does this happen to me? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. 
Um, and I think we do need to talk on platforms like this so that it, we can normalize it a lot more. Absolutely. If it is a medical condition, um, it could be covered through a med- medical services plan. You'd have to discuss that with your doctor. Right. Um, and, you know, on that topic, a lot of healthcare professionals, doctors and OBs are just starting to catch up to this yeah. uh, type of support for women were often dismissed um, quite very often and very quickly Mm -hmm. Um, and often told that this is just part of motherhood or that they don't have anybody that they can refer you to if they know that you can't afford it they won't bother to offer that to you and or if they think you can't afford it rather Um, and that's really unfortunate so this is another area in terms of accessibility that does need more attention is that healthcare professionals need to start catching up to the idea that they can refer out and if you know if a a client is or patient is coming in and, and saying they're having these issues that there is somebody out there to help them that they don't have to live with it but more often than not I hear stories uh, from women who have spoken to their doctors, who have spoken to their OBs, and have been quickly dismissed saying, well, it is what it is. You had a baby, so this is your life now, which is really unfortunate. Right. So how do you help um, women? Like, say, if I had, uh, I was seeing a physiotherapist, and I had some, you know, a a pelvic floor dysfunction, and um, how would you help in your role as a fitness coach? So as a fitness coach, I specialize in pre and postnatal fitness, and my goal is to help women in that kind of gray zone of I've done my recovery and rehab, now what? To yeah. how do I get to that goal of running my five my first five k? How do I get to that goal of lifting like I used to, you know? And um, this doesn't mean you have to have dysfunction in order to to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I think it's something that everybody should have as part of universal health care, just as we see our doctors annually for a physical. This should be part of it, um, and. If, even if you don't have any issues per se, it's still best to take the safe and effective route because you never know if down the road, if you push yourself too much now, is, is it going to affect you down the road? Right. So my, my, my suggestion is always to go the safer route. And mm-hmm. it is sometimes a more boring route with rehab and recovery. But we have to also be kind to ourselves and acknowledge that it took nine months to grow a human and then this human came out of our bodies yeah. so whether we pushed it out or it was done through major abdominal surgery your body is just not gonna be the as it used to be and that's yeah. okay because most women I know who have had children are actually stronger now in their athleticism than they ever were before yeah I feel the same way I feel that I just had this drive to get back into shape at any cost, (laughs) but obviously I did, I have to be honest, I did ignore my pelvic health. Um, I did have issues with leaks and, um, and just, you know, certain exercises I would do, they weren't correct. And, and just that in, I think also the, the issue here is time. 
Uh, mothers usually don't have that kind of time to take for themselves. And when they do have the time, they want to just rest and, and recoup and rejuvenate their bodies. I love the connection that is made here on this episode with in regards to pelvic health, um, you know, the connection between physio and fitness. Uh, because it really is, it's, you know, fitness is something that everyone wants to, um, you know, all women, most women want to come get back into shape. And there's a lot of, you know, drive to be fit, but then there's the, the physio link and the how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And that link missing, right? Um, so, so I love that. I love that connection. Um, and if they you know, what would you like to say to women out there um, in regards to their pelvic health and fitness um, as a takeaway message? I would say that, you know, if you are pregnant, then there's, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Um, Scaling back is okay during pregnancy. And a major goal during pregnancy, uh, you know, if you are active and you're able to exercise is to maintain your strength and stability. There's no, we don't have to reach new PRs during pregnancy. um, Like sometimes we see on the internet Um, and, you know, staying active throughout pregnancy has been proven uh, to be healthy for both you and baby, provided that your doctor or healthcare uh, professional advises you to be active during pregnancy. And in postpartum, I mean, taking care of our bodies. I would like that to be first and foremost, you know, we, all of our attention goes onto this new being in our lives. And of course they they demand us 24 seven, but we can't forget about ourselves because if we don't take care of ourselves, it just depletes us further and further. And, you know, I'm speaking from the experience of somebody who did took all the steps um, to see a physio and start getting active in my postpartum, uh, period, but also experience postpartum depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and eventually, you know, sought therapy for that. And because we don't think about the other factors that weigh into that, we don't consider the sleep deprivation and how much that impacts our daily lives. We don't think about how physically demanding newborns and children are, especially if you have multiple kids, the physical demands in your day-to-day life are extraordinary sometimes. You know, we're squatting, lifting, twisting, turning, lift, you know, carrying things and oftentimes doing, you know, multiple tasks at once. And so when we look at fitness strictly from a working out standpoint, it it almost carp- uh, compartmentalizes it um, into this whole realm of, oh, well, I have to be fit and I have to be in shape. But we have to also look at it as a holistic approach. And if you don't love to work out, if you don't have specific fitness goals, that's that's totally okay. Look at it from a life standpoint. You know, do you want to be able to lift all the groceries and your toddler and your arm <laughs> because we don't want to run back and forth to the car? Do we have so many daily demands that we have that we have to meet? Plus, when you're when you do return to work, if you choose to do that, then you have that all, that aspect of it too. And so, life in a holistic 
viewpoint has a lot of physical demands of us. And so taking care of ourselves should be first and foremost. And unfortunately for a lot of us, that often takes the back burner uh, position because we have so many other things that we feel are more important. But, you know, I always like to say you cannot pour from an empty cup. So Mm -hmm. if there's one piece of advice, I know I'm rambling now, but if there's one piece of (laughs) advice, I would say is take the time to take care of yourself. And whether that means getting active or whether that means taking some time to, to, to get some extra sleep, whatever it means for you, mm-hmm. take the time to do that because you deserve it. And frankly, you need it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it pays dividends in the long run. You know, you preserve, you're able to preserve your energy. You have what, well, when you, you know, you may think you're exerting more energy in the beginning because it's, uh, you know, habits take a, a, a little long to build. But once you're there, like once you're at that stage where you are taking care of yourself and um, you do have a regimen set in place, it, it, uh, it really does help a lot in your daily life and your energy levels and how you are around and even mentally um exercise has helped me I mean that's the only thing that's that helped me um with my depression after after childbirth and lifted me up absolutely yeah so that that's and that's looking at the holistic viewpoint of you know how is this going to impact your life and for me it's the same thing the mental health aspect of it is huge that's probably the number one reason that I love to or used to love escaping to the gym and now I try to do that in my house um, <laughs> or even just getting out for a walk and being active um, it you know it, and it, we know that it releases endorphins and you know it is good for mental health and you know for calming your nervous system and and just keeping you healthy for the long run. And we also have to consider that women also are at risk of osteoporosis down the road, you know, once we reach our 50s. And then we, there's so many other things, balancing hormones and um, <laughs> heart disease affects yeah, women yeah. too. And so when we look at all of these stats for the things that affect us, it doesn't mean that we're going to be immune to them, but we can take those preventative measures now. And right. why not now? you know, if not now, then when really. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Rina, for coming to our show and sharing your wonderful insights with us. And uh, I'm sure this information will help women just even realize that pelvic health is important and that it's time to normalize a lot of the stigmas and cultural taboos that are that still exist in our culture. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) This is Mama's Hot That's all for today, Mamas. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter on Mama's High on Chai. I want to hear from all of you, all the mamas that are listening. And please leave me a voice message by clicking on the link at the bottom of the show notes. It'll also be available on my Twitter page. So make sure you go on there and leave me a voice message. I really want to hear from you and send me your questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I want to hear it all. So tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until then, stay high on chai and stay high on life. See ya.